Hi, everyone. Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. Uh, I've got Garrett with me today. Hi, everyone. And Tarek, as usual. Hello, boys and girls. And today we're talking to Grant, who uh, has done some fantastic things in sports shooting, uh, coming from a martial arts background, and uh, has done some truly amazing things in really short period of time. Uh, we're hoping to have a fantastic chat with him today and learn some really important lessons. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great to have a chat to Grant and get a bit of feedback on his background and where he came from and what he found in the sports shooting thing. So I'm looking forward to learning about him and having a chat with him. So we're very excited to, to chat to Grant because he's a little bit different to a lot of shooters in, in a couple of ways. Um, Grant, as mentioned, has a background in martial arts, which we're going to ask him to go into a little bit. Um, and then uh, he he started shooting and very rapidly made a, a, a name for himself coming fourth in his first nationals and winning his second ever nationals in Ipswich. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of, of, of the talent that we're dealing with. So we're quite excited to see what Grant has to say for himself. Um, and it'll be quite an interesting chat. So Grant, tell us a little bit about yourself. Fill us in with a little bit of the history. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, as you all know, like I started Kendo back in high school. Now Kendo is a Japanese martial art of sword fighting. So the samurai, when they would train for battle, would basically start using their real swords. But it turns out it's not really a good idea to practice cuts on someone with a real sword. So they transitioned to, to wooden swords. And it turns out you can still break bones and skulls with, with wooden swords, which is when they developed kendo, where you put on armor, you use a bamboo sword that's actually easily broken, but it's better to break something like a bamboo sword than, than someone's skull. So I started back in high school and stuck with it for about eight years. I eventually reached uh, the level of third Dan, um, which is like third black belt level. There's about 70 active kendo members in South Africa at the moment. Uh, when I joined, there was probably about 120. So it's a very, it's a very small sport. It's a very difficult sport. You have to be extremely motivated and resilient to continue with it, which as I was, um, I made the South African national kendo team in 2017 and 2018 and went to compete in the European Kendo Cup and then the World Kendo Championship in 2018 in South Korea. Awesome. That must so have been really, really exciting. It, it was. Um, kind of stress level you get at like a world event like that is, is extremely different. And I think it's definitely different from shooting in general. It's a different different level of, of, of stress. It is the same. It is still stressful, but it is a different level. But the mental side you can build to that kind of has helped me to deal with the, the shooting stress to an extent. And then what started the interest in shooting? Uh, like everyone else, you know, I wanted a handgun for self-defense. So I got my self-defense handgun before I got my driver's license, actually. Um, so there's a, there's a fun thing. I was, turns out I was allowed to own a deadly handgun, but not drive a car. Oh, it's all uh, dangerous. They do exactly. kill more people. Well, I am, I am exhibit A of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went and got the, the handgun for self-defense and then had a incident in my driveway, which I don't want to go into, which showed that I really suck at shooting. As, as you all know, um, you've got to kind of reach rock bottom of your shooting skills to realize, oh, I, I actually suck. I can't just shoot at three yards and like, I'm awesome. So I started researching on YouTube and that, and you know I found the the, the major players like JJ Rakaza and um, JJ Rakaza and <laughs> <laughs> the, a lot of the top guys, and I, um, I can't remember their names. I don't really gripe to like remembering everyone's name, and I'm terrible at names anyway. So I could point them out in a crowd, but don't don't ask me to spell their name. So I found them and what they did, and I started to replicate a lot of their drills and that, and that got me interested in the whole sports shooting and uh, USPSA and IPSC in general. I never could pursue it, though, because every Saturday morning was kendo, was kendo practice, and especially being on the national team level, especially when I started to really ramp up, I want to actually start shooting a lot more. The national team training was four days a week, Monday to Thursday, and then Saturday, Saturday mornings. Well, I say mornings, we usually left like from eight till three. So that was that was the training I was going through. So I couldn't actually pursue it, and not a lot of clubs shoot on Sundays. And by that, by Sunday, you're so knackered from all the training that you don't actually want to 
you just want to lie in bed and question your life choices. <laughs> so I never could, I never could pursue it. So I needed something that was kind of easy. Well, not really easy, but something that was, wouldn't take too much of my time. And it was at that point also where I really wanted a rifle. So saw all the, all the cool stuff guys were doing with rifles and I'm like, that looks cool. I really want one of those. And that's when I found um, sports adventure shooting and they did a bit of rifle stuff and through Nat shoots, I could license a rifle through them and maintain the dedicated status with the limited time that I had at that stage. So that's where I kind of proceeded down the road of sports shooting. And I completed that sports adventure shooting in their, um, their big tournament. It's the Doublewood Memorial shoot came third, I think, in that. Didn't, didn't do so well. It's a lot of, it's not, it's not just purely shooting. It's a lot of other stuff involved in that. And I wanted, I wanted a purely shooting sport. It was at that time when the guys from Sports Adventure Shooting said, we know a guy who does training. His name's Tarek. So that's where I actually met, met Tarek. And Tarek was doing a lot of the drills that he does in, in his classes. And that, that was fun. That was actually a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that, that course. And I oh, think you took, a bit of a, you took a bit of a financial knock giving us such a good rate on that course. Or so I won't go into it, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, the braving, braving where the range was, that was, that was pretty awesome of you to do that. So remember you had to load up a rifle before you left because uh, we did leave quite late. Yeah. <laughs> avoid avoid that road. Plastic cover off the bottom of my car that day as well. <laughs> ah, yes. That was actually my fault. I was supposed to take you on a different route and then I took you over a hum because I was leading you to the range. And then, yeah, that, 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 was, that was my bad. Sorry. It's a bit of a dick move. <laughs> well, we didn't really know each other at that stage. I mean, <laughs> I just thought, I just heard the crunching of your car. I was like, but now I'd be like, huh, oh, well, I'll make, fun of you. <laughs> make fun of you later for that. So, yeah, Rod, we, you, you said that uh, sport venture shooting isn't just shooting. What does that mean? No, it's not just shooting. So, in there, in there, um, the, the memorial competition there was one of the stages where you had to navigate using a compass oh interesting and find a find a certain position of a, on a map using a compass which it is interesting to do but i mean i was there to i was there to shoot so i really wanted to do the shooting side so i didn't like losing to people that beat me not on the shooting side but on the able to do all the other stuff so I thought I could do better through the, through the shooting side. So, and then you got stage guns, which were zeroed. I mean, I want to use my guns when I shoot a match, not someone else's. So the stage guns are basically zeroed to the person who zeroed it and their eyes and their trigger discipline, which is not always lining up with you. I mean, my eyes were not the greatest back then. So someone will take a rifle that's zeroed for them and hit a target at like 300 meters. You'll take that same rifle and couldn't hit it 50 meters just because of the nature of your, where the, the way your eye works. Mm. So when you get, when you introduce a stage gun like that, you take a lot of, you, you introduce a lot of luck, not mm. a lot of skill into that. So, so then you went to training with Tarek after experiencing this whole deal. And after you messed up his car, what happened? <laughs> well, I, well, I messed up his car first. That was his first introduction to the day. So, <laughs> he was still he was still Tarek. Um <laughs> he still took it in his stride, Shane. So basically we did the training, we did a whole bunch of a whole bunch of drills, and I mean they were a whole lot of fun. And I basically did those same drills for like two weeks afterwards. <laughs> I, I will point out that Grant Grant was the best shooter in the class by quite a long chalk. Well, I'm not I'm not gonna say that, but <laughs> I will. Very good. It's fine. He's got you. <laughs> yeah, there was there was the one one draw, the shoot three, reload shoot three, that seemed to be a point of struggle for a lot of people. That was that was fun. I, I enjoyed that was the drill that I realized I enjoyed racing against the clock. Ah, oh, the devil drill. Is that the devil drill? Okay. Well I don't know the name of The six, 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 six shots in six seconds at six meters. Right, okay. The, the hackathon. Well, I stole it from Larry, but yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, that was the draw. Like, I really need to race against the timer and I really need to do it with my handgun. So, 
Tarek was like nonchalant, like, come play with Ipsic, come play in Ipsic, come play in Ipsic. Nonchalantly, you know, saying multiple times. <laughs> As he so, does, it's free. <laughs> Here, try drugs, they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Tarek is a drug dealer, he just has a better sense of humor. <laughs> okay, so from there, you got involved in the in the IPSC side of things and where did that sort of start for you? What were you using? How were your first matches? What did you learn? Yeah, so the whole, the whole kendo. So after the, the world kendo cup, I, I kendo is extremely hard on your body and I had suffered a lot of micro tears in my Achilles tendon, which if I'd k- continued with kendo at the, at the race I was going with, I was going to snap my, my Achilles tendon. And as you know, that's not a very nice injury to have. It's basically, you're never the same for the rest of your life after they repair it back. You can never move the same. So that was that was the point I was heading towards. And the my experience at the the world the worlds was kind of terrible and lackluster. So I need a change and and Tarek was there and like I messaged Tarek like, look, I want to do IPSC, kind of quit kendo, kind of hot cold turkey if I'm if I'm honest. I was like Tarek, I need I need to do IPSC and that's the months prior to that point I'd really started ramping up like the look watching YouTube videos and watching Tarek shoot on his, all the videos that he posts um, and following the guys that, that he, that he follows and that, and seeing all the videos that he shares. So it's kind of like a culmination of everything happening at once that Tarek, I want to start IPSC. So it's like, well, come to Vector, come shoot um, a match, you know, we'll squad with you and we'll take you through it. And so that was, that was pretty cool. You know, met everyone there. Everything, everyone was like friendly and like, there's a new guy. So I picked, pitched up there. What I had was a Glock 17 Gen 4, which I had had a undercut on the trigger guard done because, you know, that's what the tactical Timmies are on YouTube are doing. So let me do that and it feels good in my hand. So had that done. So it turns out that's not really production legal. So I needed to go into standard and I needed to go into standard minor. I thought, oh, how bad could standard minor be? So Raven Eidolon was my holster, basically just an EDC belt. And I had one... Uh, Daniel single mag pouch. So I had to kind of beg and borrow some of Tarek's mag pouches that they're for carrying every day. So they retain the mag with force. I will say that. <laughs> so my first reload was okay. My second reload was um, trying to fish for mag out. Excuses, excuses. And yeah, that's. Hey? <laughs> He's a race driver, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was that was really an awesome experience, and obviously I got to squad um, with with not just Tarek but also you guys, and you were pretty on fire back then, um, and you still are. So I got to see you shoot and just how fast you can run a forty cal Glock, which everyone says you can't run a forty cal Glock as fast as you do, and seeing you do it, like I've got to try that. Oh, that's good. Thanks, man. So then yeah. you, your your interest was actually quite deeply rooted in IPSC or like a practical shooting sport before you even participated in a match. Yeah, basically. Like I want to learn how to shoot my handgun very well and then I want to learn how to run my handgun very well. I, I enjoyed the rifle stuff and I enjoyed having the rifle, but I actually sold it to compete more in, in the IPSC. I found out that I, I enjoy running handguns a lot more than, than any of the other you know, firearms that we have access to. I haven't tried shotguns yet, but... No, you'll, you'll love shotguns one day when we actually fix you and you actually try and shoot shotgun. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> the, the, that's the proper sport. Uh, but uh, I, I think mean, handgun just, proficiency... I, I just checked something here. At, at, at uh, Grant's first match, he did shoot uh, a 73% um, against Gaz, coming seventh, shooting a minor gun in his first match. So he started off pretty strongly it helped um it helped what having you guys to look at and seeing how you run stages and asking incessant questions about stage planning because i had no i had no concept of stage planning at that at that time i mean it was very uh, I, I think i was very like set up shoot targets run set up shoot targets at that at that point i wasn't wasn't shooting on the move and then i think i did try it and that's where all the mics happened <laughs> but if, I, if i remember correctly back in, back in those days <laughs> that sounds about right. right. That's what everyone does. And then, so you decided to stay with uh, with shooting standard. Yeah. So I had the minor gun, and I would bought at that time. I went out and bought like the very next day. Someone was selling a Glock 17 Gen 4, so I thought oh, I'm going to go do production. 
So I went and bought a Glock 17 Gen 4 that was basically stock standard. Now, by the time that license came through, so I probably would have moved into to production if you know we got licenses in a week. By the time that license came through, I was kind of, it was after the KZN Nationals. Hmm. That was so, your first Nationals? Yeah, that was, my, that was my first Nationals. And I was basically, that was the, the team selection Nationals. So speaking of Terek, it didn't really make sense to change from standard to production at that stage. So then I had a Glock 17 Gen 4 brand new kind of thing sitting there in the box. So that's when, you know, I spoke with Tarek and Bernard agencies were so gracious in allowing me to, well, helping me to to get a, a Glock 35 Gen 4 sorted. Fun fact of that, Nationals, a, a couple of uh, very experienced shooters who, who uh, at, at our Nationals, they generally squad guys based on their log standing. So if you haven't shot the last two or three Nationals, you, you'll, you'll come in at one of the bottom squads again. And a couple of, of former national team guys in the squad came up to me and kind of pointed at Grant and said, who is this guy? And what the hell is he doing with that nine more Glock? And that that was the Nationals that you finished fourth at with a minor gun. No, that were, where where was I? Eight. There was it. It was something ridiculous. I I have no. I honestly can't. I can't remember off the back of back of my head. I, yeah. I know. It, I know. I got a medal. I got a medal. <laughs> <laughs> so. It wasn't a participation medal. It was an actual. No, it was not deserved, a participation. Yeah, medal. it was a deserved medal. Uh, which is which is quite spectacular for someone's first nationals. Like, uh, well, I was that's just trying quite not good to get cued, honestly. <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> I wanted to finish. I wanted to finish the nationals, which is an important goal in itself. Because going home early kind of sucks when you spent all the time and the money to get there. Um, yeah, you expect uh, to shoot a full match and you go home early. That's that's not a fantastic goal, but it is a it is a worthwhile one to have. Yeah, no, no, exactly, definitely. Now, I believe along the way you you learned a, a concept in IPSC. I think it's Appendix C one. It's called calibration. That's uh, sixteenth of February, two thousand nineteen, is when you learned this. So there's a, there's a video that will ever be shared on my timeline every year. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> So I think it was I think it was my first league when it was my first league was it when I didn't No it was at Victor it was a club match No it was a, it was a league No it was a league it was a league It was a league Okay yeah, I think it was my first league where I had no idea what leagues were so quite quite new to us and there was a lot more people shooting so I was shooting a string and I shot the target and I'm pretty sure I heard a ding whatever happened to the bullet I think it may have gone through the banner barricade and hit a shiny piece of metal on the other side or whatever Anyway, I thought as I, as I recall, it clinked just the edge of the of the popper. Anyway, the popper didn't fall down, so I was shown. Okay, well, this is the popper didn't fall down, and that's a mic. Then someone out the back of you know the, the squad who's very tall and named Tarek said, "Well, why don't you call for calibration and then walked off?" So I should have seen the warning signs there, but being a newer shooter, I thought Tarek would take pity on me. I'm like, that's probably a good idea because Tarek has, has good ideas. So I asked calibration to be called, which was a mistake. <laughs> so first of all, I know there was a problem finding the calibration gun. So the entire squad was waiting. And then the squad behind us was waiting for us to finish my calibration because I was the last shooter. So that's wait for all of us to shoot and then wait for me to shoot and wait for me to call calibration. So yeah, those kind of things happen. So they couldn't find the calibration gun. So uh, Uncle Merv kind of is not a person you want to make angry. And he was was very angry. (laughs) So I did apologize profusely for that. Okay, so then I just want to clarify that it was a, um, a falling steel popper that you needed calibrated. Can you sort of tell us what the difference is between calibration or calibrating major versus minor? Well, I was shooting minor, so they had to find a minor gun, so they couldn't really calibrate it with a, with a major gun. Even though I'm shooting standard, they calibrated it for your load, which is obviously worth no, they, nine more. They one. calibrate everything with a minor gun, Grant. Oh, do and they? They calibrate everything at like 120, because yeah. <laughs> they have to guarantee that 125 will lock it down. Ah, okay. <laughs> See, I'm learning. I'm still learning. I still you guys should have, yeah, you should guys should have kept that in your back pocket. I may have I may have called something else. <laughs> <laughs> we could have used it at another league, man. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys should have used it as another at another league, man. Although I have I have 
found that if I shoot if I shoot the poppers and steel properly, they actually fall down. So then I don't have to worry about having to cross calibration. Yeah, we, we, we discovered when you started loading your ammo to the proper power factor, um, the problem steel went, went down substantially mm. better. Well, I mean, that hasn't luckily, changed the name, which is Captain Calibration. I mean, that stuck around despite <laughs> the fact that his ammo is now up to spec. Well, that was way before the first nationals and way before I realized, oh, we're going to be calibrated. Or, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he admits finally publicly. <laughs> I admit that I was not loading my ammo for chrono style, loading it for function. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever well, we have it to go was. look at some of those early results. <laughs> well, then, uh, PE Nationals end of last year. You those are the yeah those are the end of last year. You won those in standard. So an interesting thing happened at at, at PE Nationals. So as you know, like Kida Bussy came and did her her movement course, um, which I took a week before. In in Kendo, there's this concept. It's called Matori Geiko. It's basically translated to watching practice. Mm-hmm. Now I spent the last eight years. So they would. The way they would teach techniques is you would watch them being executed. And then sometimes you would even, instead of participating in a practice, which is an hour long, you would actually come and sit on the side and actually watch the entire practice and watch the sparring. And that's Matori Geiko. So that's basically my background of watching people, watching their minor movements, their minor muscle twitches, not just watching someone shoot, watching basically everything that their body does in its entirety in that string and in that course of fire. Using that, learning that, learning how they move their body, how they throw themselves into, into certain transitions and, and that. And that's what basically I would be able to work on um, and learn from what they did right and learn from their mistakes and, and that. So that might might have contributed to how I was able to progress so rapidly was basically just watching everyone intently what they did from the C-class shooters all the way up to the, the top A-class shooters and learning basically everything. The interesting thing with that is that uh, we covered this in the, so you want to get into sports shooting episode where we said that uh, a, a good part of learning how to do something well, isn't just doing it. It's asking questions and it's careful observation. So it sounds like, the martial arts background really set you up to be really good at the observation from the beginning where most people take like a year, year and a half to figure out that they should be watching for stuff. You were already primed to see things that most people wouldn't even recognize. That's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that definitely, that definitely helped me, helped me a lot. And I wouldn't like say, oh, I'll quit kendo and go do shooting for those eight years. I'd probably not be maybe in the same, in the same place if I hadn't learned that some, learned that the hard way through eight years of, of, of kendo. So I'm extremely grateful. I learned that before I started doing um, competitive shooting. So I was able to basically put the movement stuff together. Now the problem for me came into the whole shooting side of it and merging those together. So I'd be able to, so where I work, we had a storeroom where I'd be able to take weights during my lunch break and, and run around and basically put in the movement side of, of the stuff and then go to an indoor range and, there's not much you can do in an indoor range and I could basically work on transitions and work on the shooting and the trigger control and all of that stuff. And there was rare occasions where I'd have an entire indoor range to myself and I would go forward and, and then run around and be able to merge those together. But where I was merging them together most of the time was match. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. It was at Kitabasi's course where I was able to, which with her drills and, and her instruction was able to put, both of those things together at once on a stage. And that's basically where PE nationals happened, where I just learned how to do this. And I wasn't so much thinking about shooting because I was still a C-class shooter. I was still enjoying, you know, the, the extremely chill vibe uh, in, the, in the squads there. And, you know, it was still, it was still the, the nationals thing was still quite new and I was, there was my first nationals with the Glock 35 and I only had it for I think a month um, something like that. Before, before the nationals. So it was still a new gun and maybe I should buy a new gun a month before every nationals. <laughs> so <Hello>, a guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was extreme. So all of that stuff was basically extremely new. And I basically just kind of let it all go and basically just let my body do what it wanted and let the gun do what it wanted and didn't think too much. And it all just came together and yeah, managed to, managed to win it. So one thing that's interesting about watching Grant shoot um, after this whole experience is uh, he's a super like chilled laid back dude, but he is super intense when he's shooting. Um, He's, he's very aggressive when he's shooting. Uh, and he seems to be able to turn that on and off because he's chill. He walks the line. He is super aggressive. He walks off the line. He's back to being chill, uh, which I think is a really important. Uh, I don't know if it's a skill that, that can be easily learned, but I think that's a super important thing to be able to do. Um, switching from sort of uh, we're having a casual chat to serious gamer mode. Uh, it's a significant advantage over people who can't do that and stay in the either the relaxed state and uh, don't perform or are always in the super aggressive state and they just tire rapidly and they're unable to keep that momentum up throughout the whole day. It's a really good uh, way to be able to do things. Uh, And that's probably also from the martial arts background, I assume. No, that's definitely, that's definitely from the martial arts background. So Kendo is a very contact sport. So it's, you know, before you spar with someone, it's you're chilled, you're, you know, you bow to them and, you are basically their best friend. And then when you rise up and you get ready to fight them, you're basically trying to kill them. And then it's all over and then you bow again and then it's all over and then you're back to being friends. So that's, that's basically where the switch comes in. So that's, that's also Kendo that I learned that. And uh, tell us a little bit about your practice regime, Grant. Uh, live fire, dry fire, what do you what do? You do? What are, like you've mentioned about running around with weights at, at work and that. Um, what is, what is the, what is the normal sort of pre Rona, uh, <laughs> weekly sort of training schedule of, of you? So it kind of, it evolved. So when I started, it kind of went from, okay, so we shoot the match on the Saturday and I'd watch everyone and make mental notes, forget some. And then on the Saturday evening, I would be in my apartment basically with the mental notes thinking, well, I need to move like this morning, move like that morning. I need to do this and that. That was the Saturday evenings. And then the Sunday was awesome when I could go to a range and shoot. Um, so I, I definitely try and, and do that. And then during the week, it was after I get home, I would sometimes go for a jog, but not always. And then I would dry fire at least Monday through to Thursday. Um, right after I got home from work, you know, you're tired, stressed, works, life, getting you down. And, you know, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of um, uh, dedication to, take off your work clothes, put your gun stuff on and, and do dry fire. So I kind of made myself do that. And that's also the martial arts background of the dedication side. So dry fire in the evenings. And then yeah, during my lunch break, instead of eating, I would try and lose weight and move in the storeroom where I could actually have a bit of space because my, my apartment was basically like three meters and I couldn't really do a lot of stuff. So I can do a lot of the shooting dry fire practice at home because I, I don't think my office would have appreciated me running around with a gun in the storm. Although I did, <laughs> I did do that when I closed the door sometimes. If I'm, if I'm honest, so yeah, must we cut that out? <laughs> no, no, no. They they have been bought over. <laughs> so yeah, it was basically lunch break, run around with a maybe with a weight replicating a handgun, and but most of the time it was entries, exits, basically trying to keep low and, and keep keep the weight low and then get home, put on the, the gun stuff, dry fire. It wasn't that long, I would say. It was sometimes I would dry fire for like 15 minutes if I really didn't want to. But some of the times I'd dry fire for like 30 minutes. But then say I'm, I'm watching like a YouTube clip or something, and I'm just getting bored. I would take the gun, put it in my hand and basically just start dry firing with the trigger and the trigger prep and, and all that stuff while I'm sitting on the couch while Netflix is going in the background. So it's not easy to pin oh, down no. like I would dry fire for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's not easy to pin fire, I would dry, dry fire for 20 minutes. It would be like dry fire for 20 minutes officially, but then, you know, the gun's sitting there, it's out of the safe and just dry, like practice and click. And maybe I would walk to the bathroom and I'd take the gun with me. And as I'm walking to the bathroom, I'd have targets set up all over, all over my apartment. So I can walk basically into any room and I'd have a target there that I can walk and basically shoot on the move or even just look at it and, and 
I wasn't. I didn't realize I was finding my spot on the target until I read Kida's book, and that's exactly what I was actually doing. Regular listeners might notice that a fair amount of this uh, is going to sound quite similar to our dry fire show from a couple of weeks ago. Um, some of it's going to be a little bit different, and some of it's going to be very similar. So uh, I would like to point out that I haven't listened to the dry fire show. Just putting we, that we, out there yet. Yeah, we, we can recorded. confirm that you haven't listened yeah. to it because no one has. <laughs> no, no one's heard it yet. We're recording out of order, so uh, oh, we're okay. time traveling here. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's not quite a coincidence that uh, the the stuff sounds familiar because it works. Um, right, it, it does. It does work. There's there's a book on it. So. <laughs> we we briefly spoke about it in the dry fire episode, so we spoke about the uh, the quiet eye and uh, the benefits of that really briefly. Um, yeah, and I know so you that know, you're you're quite into that because you have the target set up at all the weird angles. Uh, I would suggest I'd recommend that to anyone who's trying to get better to just do that because I mean just looking at a target, separating the rest of the noise of the target and finding your spot, even when you're walking to a room and you don't even realize you're doing it, and just then it just becomes part of um, like in your mental background. I think is is a really good place for everyone to to be. So Grant, tell us a little bit about the uh, the what you've gained and what you lost going from shooting minor to shooting major. Um, so I know that there was a bit of a transition period for you being used to shooting the, the, the 17 um, and then transitioning to the 35, which obviously has scoring advantages. Uh, but you had a, a, a brief, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say downturn, but you, you had a, a, a change in your shooting cadence and things for a little while as a result of the differences. Can you tell us about that and how you, you sort of worked through it and how you improved and, and, Improve the grip, uh, which is, I think, the main thing that you worked on in order to get that down. Okay, well, I'll start, well, I'll start with what I've lost. I've lost a whole bunch of money uh, shooting 40. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. Can confirm. You, you've but, made up a lot of that by stealing all of Gaz's brass, though. Um, I say Starline. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny some of my brass was once by Starline. So with regards to the, so when I got the 40, you know, I thought, I thought I could, I, honestly, I thought I could be different. Everyone was talking about there is a transition between shooting minor and shooting major. There's a transition. You're going to have to learn that transition. I thought I could be different. And then when I went for my first, like I, I shot 50 rounds on the Friday before, I think the league match. It was a that Magnum I was going to shoot that Magnum gun. League. It was the Magnum League. And that was, that was not a very um, good league to do that transition in. Um, <laughs> well, it was a very good league, but it wasn't very uh, a, a hoser match. It was um, a very technical and very accuracy-centric match. Um, you, there was a lot of mo- shooting on the move that you could do. And while you're trying to learn a new gun's recoil characteristic, while trying to shoot on the move, not the best plan. The, the, my first practice session was static and I had a lot of confidence from that and I thought it could be different. And then I got there and I was not different. It was, it, 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 uh, the Glock 35 like spat me out quite some um, vigorously. Um, and it's not a gun that you can take advantage of. Well, um, take for granted. You, you need to, you need to be on that thing all the time while you're shooting. You can't, you let it, you let it, um, get out of line. It's, it's going to take you. Um, and for the guys who are not not regulars in in the these sorts of competitions um glocks are fairly uncommon in standard major um amongst top level shooters i don't want to say they're uncommon but they're uncommon amongst top level shooters most of the top level guys are going to be running some form of a 2011 double stack 1911 uh, that's a fairly heavy gun and it's set up with a probably a light recoil spring but a very heavy um mainspring so they're getting some real benefits in in terms of recoil reduction from the way that their guns are set up the glocks you can't really do that because you basically have a recoil spring and that's it you don't have a mainspring to rely on and you have a gun that is typically a little bit lighter transitions really well but uh, there is definitely technique involved in making it work uh, and and dedicated training involved and those are here is going to point out that the last three nationals in standard have been won with a Glock 35. That's exactly Hashtag. where I was going with this. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sure. bo- both Gaz and Grant shoot uh, Glock 35s and uh, no one can dispute uh, their, their results that they've had shooting that platform. Just that's what Grant's talking about when he says you need to be on it all the time is you don't really have the luxury of setting it up with a really heavy mainspring and just, uh, you know, 
relying on the gun. And in, in, in Major, the Glock 35, you're shooting basically factory spec 40, 40 ammo. So it's it's quite a rorty load. Whereas with minor, most guys are shooting a, a relatively sort of softly loaded 9 mil load. So in guns of similar weight, there's quite a dramatic difference in, in recoil between those those two. Yep, not unpleasant though. I mean, Glock 40s are, especially in 35s, are awesome to shoot. Yeah, it's not, it's not like it's going to fly out of your hand, but definitely you can't shoot it like a Glock 17, as I, as I found out. Also, <laughs> Rapidly. You, <laughs> you need to grip the gun quite heavily. So this comes back to the kendo background. So I've developed a lot of strength in my left arm. Derek, no, no jokes. Um, <laughs> where, oh, I'm a stranger. <laughs> where you, where you, control, you control the sword with your left hand. That's where your power comes in. Your right hand is basically just the steering wheel. Your left hand is the engine, if I can break it down in layman's terms. So that's where a lot of my left hand strength grip comes from. So I kind of lost a lot of that shooting the 17 and lost a lot of that mental um, muscle memory, rather, to bring that back. And it did come back quite easily. But it was something that I had to think about and actually physically, okay, this is what I need to do. Um, and then, yeah, so I tried to also do it with the factory Glock sights, which are great for like 99% of people that actually Glock, buy Glock handguns. Not so great when you're trying to track the front sights under recoil, especially when the background is oddly colored and you're trying to find a brown, a brown target with it, especially at range. Had to had to change those out as well. And yeah, so I had to basically start learning a new handgun from scratch. And it didn't take as long, but it did take a lot of ammo. So luckily, luckily I got Silver Rapids, who's a manufacturer of coated bullets. They managed to make a 40, a 40 bullet or an 80 grain 40 bullet to save me a bit of money and I can punt onto to other people. So yeah, that, that, did, that did bring my shooting down to basically um, paying about nine more ammo with the current um, price of it. Well, that, that did allow me to shoot as much as, as other people, but I'm shooting 40. The brass doesn't tend to last as long, especially when you're shooting it out of a Glock. So uh, four or five firings, you get that bulge and it's just not going away. So having a bit of a brass loss rate and 40 brass is hard to come by. You need to the shoot people that want- some more, you can just steal his. <laughs> well, the people that want to buy it immediately and the people that... <laughs> Or a bit too late. I mean, you know, it's it's expensive, and you try and you try and find it where you can. So, so that initial uh, learning curve that you went through when you switched from the nine mil to the forty was based broadly on you readjusting your grip. Uh, was yeah. that that basically the essential that you needed to do to get the forty to work for you better? Well, also understand. Well, it was it was more grip. You needed to grip that gun harder because you needed to control it more. But also, basically, bringing down the 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 split times you can't you can't split on far targets at the same cadence that you would with a nine mil well not i can't especially i couldn't back then i'm sure with enough ammo i I mean with enough ammo you can do pretty much anything in the world but at that rate i couldn't so i had to kind of slower slow uh, lower my my rate of fire if you will to kind of get there till my skill level with that gun had built up to a sufficient, sufficient level that I can raise it again. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you said that because I sort of went through the same thing when I readjusted my grip. So that sort of ties up and it makes a bigger difference the further out the targets are or the more challenging the shot is. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the gear you use, uh, Grant. Uh, everyone's always keen to, uh, to chat about gear. It's, it's, you know, gun guys are gear guys generally. So uh, tell us a little bit about the gun, the, the rigs, the mods, the bullets, that sort of thing. Let us know a little bit. Okay, so I'm running a, so with bullets wise, I'm running the 180 grain coated bullets at about 175 power factor. I think we, we chronoed at the last um, uh, session there. So that's basically what I've been, what I've been running at. With the CMJs, I did hit a comfortable 180 power factor, but I've been able to lower it with 175. But obviously, we have to with the powders, we have to play around with 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 what we can find. The gun, the gun was it just had Dawson sights on it, a Emantech reduced power striker spring, and a polished Gen 3 trigger bar and a minus connector. That was the gun that I basically shot with at P Nationals. It also had a an undercut done by. Um, DVC Technologies, guys did an awesome undercut for me, and then it had a. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, I did feel, feel kind of bad because he's like, 
here's your undercut and then have to shoot against me. <laughs> but guy's an awesome guy like that. He'll he'll help his competitors as best he can. And then I put a Tony aluminium magwell on it because you know standard you can do that. And then I got the Arredondo base pads on it. And I spent many many times talking with Gaz about which springs to to put in there and basically getting a reliable 17 round round mag. I know we're going to play a little bit more with springs to try and get 18 in there, but they just don't last as long when you start running 18 rounds in those in those mags. So after you you did all the uh, the, the base modifications to your gun. Um, wasn't there an issue with fitting in the box? It does fit in the box. I just have to force it in the box. And then it doesn't want to come out the box. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it goes in. That's the point. So you, you have to force it, but it fits. <laughs> the rules, the rules are not that it has to come out the box comfortably. <laughs> the rules have to go in, exactly. <laughs> but it has to stand on the box and kind of pry it out. But it did fit. That was, that was, the, that was the key takeaway of that. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. So just just to highlight that a little bit, uh, I believe that you guys need to shave the sights a little bit uh, on those Dawson sights in order to make this whole setup work. Um, the, or box, is, the box shave the paint off for you. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> and that's the the only sort of bit that you truly need to modify in order to make that setup work. Is uh, you need to stand yeah, with it. Yeah, with an Arredondo base plate and Dawson sights, you're pretty much pushing it in there. Um, Gaz can modify an RHT set of sights where you can fit them in quite comfortably with a bit of um, finesse. Um, but I had the doors and sights plonk them on there, so that's that's basically what I've what I've been running. Awesome. Um, and then I I made some modifications. Uh, I added so I tried to after the PE nationals I tried to play around with the Tony frame weight and the, the Tony recoil spring and trying to play around with a bit of uh, recoil springs and, and that and trying to get the gun sh- to shoot a lot flatter, which I succeeded to get the gun to shoot flatter. But then I, that the recoil needs to go somewhere. So instead of making it shoot, you know, rising up a little bit, I've, I've kind of made a weird side to side shaking. And then, you know, I started modifying it and the reliability wasn't as great as it possibly could have been. After um, the modifications. <laughs> after the modifications. So also, what, but that aside, one of the main things I found with putting a weight on is my draw to first shot, my time increased, my transition time, which wasn't great to start with, increased. So I made the gun heavier and I couldn't really adopt to it. So when I took everything, everything off, took the weights off, it was just so much easier to basically muscle the gun around um my my draw time went back down and my time to first shot went back down and my transitions have gone back down now this is just under um just trying it out in, in dry fire over a multitude of days but i've actually found that i can get a better first shot and get better sights on target without the weight when you took the weight off what did your splits do did they get uh, longer did they take longer for your splits to happen oh that's well then the shutdown happened and i couldn't get to the range ah. I think a lot of people forget that and miss that. You know, a heavier gun has less recoil, generally. Um, you know, it moves less, but they forget that there's a swings and roundabouts thing and it, it's more weight to get out of a holster. It's more weight to move. Um, I found in limited shooting of, of 35s with frame weights, I've shot a couple. For me, I find that without the frame weight, the gun lifts more and it's more violent uh, or, or it's quicker. But I find with the frame weight, it recoils more i get more of that recoil energy straight back into my hand i'd actually rather shoot the gun without the weight and have a little bit more flip i I find for myself my shot to shot time is about the same um but the gun just is jokes aside easier to shoot without the extra weight yeah one of the reasons that times increase specifically to out the holster to the first shot and on transitions and not necessarily in the splits is because there's more inertia that you need to deal with. Mm. So you can probably move the gun at roughly the same absolute speed, but stopping the gun in precisely the right place requires you to either start slowing down earlier during your transition or your draw, or you need to do that more abruptly with more muscle. And that's where people lose the time because tracking the sights with this whole fuck around with the additional weight is just harder. Um, And that's true for not just blocks with, with weights. It's true for any gun where you're making them heavier. It was kind of a weird thing because I put the weight on and what I found was the front sight was nose diving into the ground because obviously the recoil spring was um, is quite substantial on the on the 35. 
to that closes with force. So when I changed out the recoil spring, I stopped the front sight diving, but then it wouldn't it wouldn't close the minute it got even a bit dirty. Um, and then when you start introducing, when you grab the the gun and you start riding the slide a little bit, which with a high grip to control recoil, I tend to do, especially in the stress, <clears throat> stresses of a match, you create enough problems that when they all come together, the gun doesn't work. Match reliable is a thing. I, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of guns that'll work 100% when you go to the range and slow fire them and go, okay, well, it works. Uh, and there's a good lesson in self-defense there as well. Uh, you know, guys go to the range, they shoot a couple of rounds slowly without any pressure. The gun works, they go shot on off. Sometimes under, under practice conditions where we put, put the throttle up, we're more likely to see a malfunction. And uh, mm-hmm. matches, I, I have seen plenty of guns that never malfunction. If they have a malfunction, it'll be at a match because that's where... You're holding it funny. That's where, as you say, you're a little bit more stressed. Your, your grip's a little bit harder than you used to. A thumb hits something. So it's uh, it's also a good lesson for guys that if you're messing around with gear, um, maybe test it in a couple of matches before a Nationals. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes. And if it's the match gun, and the chronograph. Yeah. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> and you know, and if it's... If a, it's the, the funny thing was, it was malfunctioning at the match before, but I thought I could fix it before nationals, which when I went yes. to a practice session on the Thursday, I did, at least I thought. But it's the same with self-defense guns as well. T- test them under horrible conditions. Go shoot some matches with your carry gun. Um, Just leave your self-defense gun stock and don't mess with it. <laughs> well, and, and, but even then, whatever ammo you're going to use, whatever you're going to do, test test that gun out for you under, under match conditions because you'll set up, you're more likely to set up a funny situation than you are going to the range and practicing what you like. No, absolutely. Great. 100%. And then uh, last so, nationals. Yeah, sorry, Gaz, carry on. No problem. I just wanted to ask Grant if he felt that like the Glock 17 was, it had some sort of role in how you progressed in a sport. If you, if you were to look at the Glock 17 as something that may have assisted you in your progress one way or another, do you think that was anything of value? Well, it, it definitely, I mean, it taught me to trigger control and trigger prep. It's a Glock. I, it, it's easy to shoot. I mean, uh, I could, with the Arredondos, I could get 21 rounds in a, in a gun to start with, and that was awesome. So stage planning for a, a minor Glock was shoot everything <laughs> so <laughs> i could focus i could focus more on how to how to shoot certain positions than actually how to stage plan and remember a stage plan while i'm trying to shoot different positions i could be like i got 21 rounds in this thing i don't need a stage plan reloads so i can just stage plan how i'm going to shoot how i'm going to enter a position shoot those targets and how i'm going to exit them so i think that actually Grant sometimes did shoot 21 rounds on a 12 round stage <laughs> but he shot them really fast. <laughs> if, if you end and the slide locks back, but all the targets have been hit, it's still an end. Oh, you need to come shoot shotgun. Standing reloads are not advised. Out of interest, Grant, and this is something that just occurred to me while we were chatting. Do you think you could still be competitive with a, with your G17? Do you think if you if if you went and shot a G17 or a G34, a nine a nine mil standard gun, do you think you could be as competitive as you are now with the the, the different way the gun runs? Or I have thought about it, and I have thought about, especially if you know tennis elbow is 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 plaguing me, maybe shooting a match with with a 17, shooting a match in minor, just seeing. You know, having especially if it's a, the last match of the year, you know, and we're all having a bit of fun, maybe just doing that. I have thought about it as with being competitive. I it all depends on the on the match. You know, if it's a if it's a minor friendly match, then I definitely think I could be competitive to 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 a point. But if it's a major if it's a major friendly match, then you know, not really. I think the 21 rounds, the way stages are being designed would give me something on one or two stages, but not enough in an aggregate to actually be that much of a, of a, of a game changer. I don't think it would be, would be that much. As with shooting Foster, you know, the guys who are at the top of the standard super squad, and I got to finally, finally see them and finally see them shoot, 
I don't think it's, I think it could be in the realm there, but it's kind of, it's, it's, you need that major scoring, especially where, where everyone is at the super squad now in standard. You, you can, you can get, you can start nipping at the heels, I would say, but you can't really, can't really go over the top and, and, and beat them. I don't think that's, that's possible. I haven't tried it. It could be done maybe. Um, but I don't think I could. Yeah, so just as interest there, there was another shooter that uh, that was shooting standard minor before Grant arrived on the scene, uh, Clifford. And he was doing really well on average shooting a minor gun. Uh, but I think he had the same experience where despite the fact that he was super fast, the scoring on many of the more technical matches was just so punishing shooting minor uh, as opposed to shooting major that that didn't work out for him either. Um, he's moved you to know, production. You when, know, when I was doing very well in production, actually. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. <laughs> yes. Go for it. Yeah, when I was shooting KZN, this, it actually comes to the mental side. When, you, when you're looking at a, at a shooter and you're thinking, I shot that stage better than you, but because our times were sort of, because your scoring just happened to edge over, your hit factor was larger than mine but I shot that stage better than you, but you beat me on it because of the scoring. That's, and then the mental side, that's, that's where it comes into. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm there mentally to be able to, to handle that. Where you shoot a stage, you shoot it better, but someone with a major gun shoots it slightly, slightly more Charlies than you, but can either tie with you because you need to be so much faster than the other guy to beat him. I don't think where everyone's skill level is now, I don't think that's possible for me. So you reckon Grant with a G35 would beat Grant with a G17? I think yes. Awesome. That makes sense to um, me. I think yeah, that's true. That's interesting. Um, I think it, it kind of, you know, the, I, th- I think it kind of fits in with common, or the sort of common belief, but I thought it would be quite interesting just to get your perspective. Uh, something else that I think you could possibly give us some quite interesting perspective, and it, it ties in with one of the earlier shows where we discussed getting into sports shooting. What was your experience as a new shooter? Uh, you know, unlike the rest of us, you're, you, it's quite a fresh memory. You haven't been doing this for very long. Was what were you expecting people to? You know, did, did you get the did you get the response from people that you expected? Were people were you what were you expecting? What did you see? What was it like being a a new shooter getting involved in the sport? Well, as for me as a new shooter, uh, I thought it was awesome. It was I loved it. Um, was when you when you walk in there and you see like guys are here to race with handguns. That is that is really what I saw and what I wanted to do. Um, everyone was like really friendly and you know there's there's enough people that you can ask questions and they're more than happy to help you and they're more than happy to give you their stage idea and if you ask them do you think this would work they will tell you no and why they think it doesn't work not just no you're an idiot go do it that way. Um, there was no sort of trying to beat you down or trying to give you, trying to mislead you or anything. It was genuinely like open and honest, trying to trying to help you progress as, as much as possible. Um, generally also like if you need gear or advice on gear, everyone's like, well, you can borrow this or use that for a time, give it back to me later. You know, I'm a new shooter and like, you're willing to give me your stuff. <laughs> what if I never come back? <laughs> The key there is so, we all have guns, so like not coming back as a poor option. So. so I mean, everyone's really friendly and 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 happy to help. And um, it was kind of when you walk in there, maybe a little bit intimidating because like everyone knows everyone, and you're kind of walking walking in there like, where's the one guy I know? Where's that one? Oh, he's actually easy to see because it's Terry. <laughs> he's also half an hour late, so you have to stand around alone. <laughs> yes, yes, he was late. And then, yeah, there was also the, the whole intro to basically shooting and shooting safe. I think, I think Andre saw me and basically, I don't know why, but he gave up like, okay, well, this guy's not going to, he's not in safe, he's not going to get DQ'd, so you can, you can go. <laughs> Kind of, kind of knew he was like wasting his time there a little bit. So, um, but Andre was also really like, like the whole, this is safety and this is the 180 and explaining the 180 and the, the general rules to get someone through their first match and not get DQ'd um, was was really clear and really well explained. Yeah, sure. You're going to run slow when you 
basically pointing a gun up range, but that was that was pretty cool. So yeah, that's, it was a really it was a really um, awesome first experience. It is it is still very fresh actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that long ago for you. So oh, no. since then, you have been at Vector as a as a club member. Uh, yes, and you're still in NGPSA, or has that changed? Are you planning on changing? Are you? Or what's happening with your shooting going forward? So at the at the Limpopo Nationals, I changed to um, uh, Eastern Gauteng because I, I like I like Steve. He's he's a pretty awesome guy. I like his sense of humor. Um, the kind of guy that you can make a, a serious joke with, and he's going to laugh at you and like throw it right back. So I really I really liked him, and uh, you know he he, he built his, his new thing and I, I like to I like to try new things as as, as shooting goes. <laughs> so I suppose that <laughs> that comes into it. So yeah, um changed to Eastern Gauteng and it really looks really looks cool. And uh, I I mean it doesn't really matter what province you belong to because you can rock up at anyone anyone's club and shoot. They're not gonna turn you away and turn their, their nose up at you because you belong in a different province oh, or no, whatever. Exactly. And like, exactly. That's that's so, one of the awesome things about the sport is the fact that you, as long as you're a member of the the, the sort of parent body, you can rock up yeah. at any of the matches and shoot, which is yeah, absolutely so kind fantastic. Of, In yeah, the world, so yeah. like, that, like I really like Ethan Kauteng and Tarek's also also a member, and you know someone's got to keep an eye out for Tarek and be his, his punching bag. And so, we're, we're all, oh yeah, well, oh, I'm on the committee. I'm oh, a see. member of Spartan and uh, Bernard Agency Shooting Club now. So, yes, and Victor, also, and no, like no. I'm like accumulating shooting clubs at the moment. <laughs> should, should I have more shooting clubs well. than guns. <laughs> <laughs> I find that hot. No, and you're a connector. That's, that's bad. Yeah, it's not <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, so, Grant, you uh, you managed to uh, to get through all the selection matches in in the standard division and. Uh, you have a, an exciting trip coming up with uh, with Gaz and uh, some other dudes. Um, yeah, so it's been delayed was... by a year, but tell us a little bit about the selection process for that and sort of so how you're preparing when for I that rocked, mentally. Yeah, so when I rocked up at KZN, I mean, I didn't know actually anything about the selection or anything. I just heard like you know on the air like this is a selection match, but I didn't really pay much attention to it because well, what the hell's a selection match? I don't care. I just want to shoot. Um, then the then the whole standard thing happened, and you know I got the thirty five. I got into major, and I, Tarek started really pushing me to basically get selected for the team. So that's when I started taking that's when I started taking the selection action more seriously. And then you know went to went did quite well at, at at PE, and that raised my overall percentage, basically where I needed it to be to be in contention. Um, so that was that was really good for me. And then Limpopo happened. <clears throat> So I went, I didn't go the usual C, B, A class of squatting. I went from C class, C class, A class, super squad, which, <laughs> which was quite, um, quite interesting. Um, I was told there was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure in the super squad and it being a selection match and it being, I won the last one. There was that, all that pressure culminating. And I tried to ignore it because I me. Turns out you can't really ignore all of that, and I didn't deal with it. So I really only on that match found my groove probably on the second day. If I'm if I'm honest, I actually got to relax. But at that match, I got to meet the the rest of the people, the team that I'm actually going with, um, JC and Keith, and you know, obviously I shot I shoot with Gaz quite a lot. So it was basically gonna be gonna be us on the team. So I got to shoot with with everyone, and that was that was really that was really awesome. I got to see their shooting styles and got to converse with them, and we got to basically work together on on some of the stages. And apart from JC taking all my brass, because it was my fault, I didn't actually mark any of the brass because I thought I was going to be the only one pitching up with unmarked unmarked cases. Because in my mind, if I pitch up with unmarked cases, everyone just gives me unmarked cases. But um, JC figured that out a long time before me. <laughs> So yeah, when, when an amateur brass collector meets a pro brass collector. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got to basically spend time with them and then we got to spend time after after the match was done and you know we got selected and it was uh, they're really awesome dudes and I really look forward to to being on a team with them. I've been on, on a national team with other people. 
I don't want to like, there's a lot of um, things that go into being selected to be part of the best, you know, in South Africa. There's a lot of stuff like that. And I don't see that with any of the guys that I've been selected to be on the shooting team, uh, to be on the standard uh, shooting team. So, and I don't see that in, in shooting in, in, in general, like there's not a lot of ego and there's, you know, everyone's generally down to earth, which is what I love about, about Ipswich and about shooting about what the people, uh, who I shoot with. So look, as for looking forward to the trip, I think we're going to have a blast and, you know, we're going to properly help be able to help each other as teammates. Um, and I think as going forward, it's also going to change the dynamic of when we squad together because we're not going to be trying to beat each other. We're actually going to be like, well, we're a squad against the world. So we're going to help each other, even though this is a local match and, you know, best man wins, we're still going to be basically teammates for each other. So I'm really looking forward to forward to that over the next year when we can, you know, for the next two years, actually. Yeah, it's two uh, years. Yeah, basically, <laughs> year and a half. <laughs> November year next year. So I think actually this is a good thing. So we have a lot more time to basically work together as a as a team because we all know who's who's going to be who's going to be selected. So we need to do that, and I look forward to it. No, absolutely, and we're also going to be able to lean on each other and like share training plans and which I think we should, you know, being team members and, and trying to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and help each other with everyone, pull everyone's knowledge together and let's go, let's go beat the world. It's something you see, uh, you know, we saw it at the, at the Breda Gold Cup in the shotgun match last year in Italy. Um, you know, like the Italian team, I mean, the guys, the guys were really cool, but there, there was definitely a team sort of, you know, we had the modified team in our squad. Uh, and there was a definite sort of team vibe with the guys. You know, there was a there was a strong sort of team support and and that sort of thing. I mean, they were they were very. One of our guys broke his gun, and guys dropped what they were doing, and we're trying to help fix his gun while we try to communicate across language barriers, which is one of those great things about shooters. Um, is that they'll do that, like you said earlier, people you've never met before who'll who'll loan you stuff and sometimes even give you ammo. Uh, so uh, that's good. I'm I'm really glad, and I think uh, it's quite nice. I mean, in standard, we've got quite a, a young new team. Uh, I think in a lot of the divisions, we've got pretty young, pretty new teams for the the matches, which will which will be quite nice. And that sort of shooting overseas is a it's a mind blowing experience. I mean, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, a, it's a really nice group of guys that 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 form that team. Um, and Grant. <laughs> all, I'm, all i'm saying is let's not go crazy with the sa team you know whatsapp groups okay let's let's try keep that to a minimum <laughs> well i'm just thinking has someone told you that uh world shoots are generally lost brass matches yep well yes but i'm i'm <clears throat> I'm forever hopeful. Uh, no, <laughs> you, you can't even pick up, pick up a case. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on you, dude. You can't pick up a case and get a, a warning for that, man. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are literally going to have to hold me back like at my belt and be like, no, yeah. Grant. That was your, your first bit of team advice. Don't pick up, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Well, uh, well, we're going to be buying ammo there, so we'll see see how that how that all pans out. This is one of the times when it's a true benefit shooting a uh, a Glock and forty caliber, mm. um, because I know that my forty caliber guns are really picky on ammo. <laughs> the guys shooting the Glocks are uh, in a much better position on, on that. I mean, the stuff. one was until you broke it. Who broke it? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck you did. It worked when I had it. He always uh, says that, but they never do. That, that gun would feed hollow. Point. That gun would run Winchester Ranges. And will then Jack, you, will, you, will Jackie confirm that story? Because every time I talk to Jackie, Jackie's like, that gun never worked. <laughs> <laughs> he says yeah. that about the Series 72. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's Jackie. <laughs> No, that gun, that gun would feed rangers, and then you uh, you clean the rust off. <laughs> what did you use to clean the rust off again, Kone? Rust remover. Like yes. a good dude, like cleaning rust. You should see it now. To have that gun beautifully blued for him. Pit made it beautiful though. It like, does look uh, good. Like, yeah, that that gun's awesome now. And you know what? It's back to feeding absolutely everything. And now you don't shoot it. 
Uh, I've been shooting it because someone else has half of my uh, classic gun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. I didn't point at anyone even, but Terry. I couldn't even give it back to you because of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that the reality there is not only am I not shooting that gun, I'm not shooting anything because fucking lockdown. Yeah, none of us are shooting anything, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Hopefully that gets lifted at some stage so we can all get back to, uh, to training and competing because uh, I think that everyone on this cast at least misses that greatly. And yeah, I think the first the first few matches are gonna well the first match and practice sessions are gonna be finding all of our feet. Um uh, just getting back to it. I've I've worked out that this so far I've missed at least and and conservatively sixteen practice sessions. And probably I probably would have shot more and you know, it's like it's the longest I haven't fired a shot in I don't know, probably a decade. <laughs> yeah, same here. I used to at least get yep. to the range once a week, even if it was just quickly to the indoor range. Mm. Um, and now it's been like, what, eight weeks of nothing? Yeah. 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 Kind of sad. That's why it looks so yeah. tricky. <laughs> <laughs> it's the withdrawals. It's not the alcohol and the cigarettes. It's the... Yeah. <laughs> I trust... Lack of gun. <laughs> At the end of the day, we don't actually care about alcohol, cigarettes. We just want to go shoot. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about yeah. the recoil. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that was awesome, though, Grant. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me. This was this was pretty cool. I, I actually enjoyed it. My first ever podcast. So, no, well done. That makes four of us. Yeah. <laughs> we just sound like it's our first ever podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> But we really appreciate with the technical issues and that you're making an effort to to come through. Um, I I really enjoyed this. I think we learned some stuff. I think it was a, a nice insight, and and hopefully our listeners can get a bit of uh, a little bit of info and maybe a little bit of inspiration about uh, getting off their asses and and shooting and not talking about shooting on the internet and telling everyone how their favourite gun is the best, but actually going out <laughs> and, and making noise with that. Exactly, Ron. Thank you very much for the insights. Um, you, you've definitely brought in some a, a different perspective, uh, particularly from the side of the, the the martial arts background and how that's helped you actually progress substantially faster than than most guys are capable of. Um, just for the for the listeners out there, uh, we have uh, hopefully some more interesting uh, interviews planned after this one goes live, and we'll keep you uh, posted on uh, when those will be ready for you guys to listen to. Yeah, thanks for your time, Grant. Uh, it was really nice to get some fresh ideas and different perspectives, and it was nice to have you on the podcast learning a little bit new things and ideas. So thanks. Cool. Laters! <laughs>